Well, continuing our series on the way of Jesus, and today looking at Jesus and the marginalized. And we, we could even say that the way we began this series with Jesus and children, that Jesus is showing us right there how much he values those that were valued so little by the society of his day. When we look at how Jesus interacts with women, how he defends a woman who pours perfume over his feet, how he is willing to have a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well that Jesus shows us that he is not bound by the social, uh, social boundaries of his day. That he is willing to take time to bless children. That he is willing to take time uh, to talk to women. When a woman uh, touches the hem of his garment because her faith is such that she says, if I can just touch the edge of his robe, then, then if, if I can just do that, then I know I can be healed. And so then when Jesus addresses her, he ultimately calls her daughter. At a time when most people would not have given a woman that they had no prior relationship with the time of day. He takes the time out of going with the synagogue leader to his house to cure his sick daughter. And then he takes the time to discuss the faith of a woman who has been victimized by doctors for a number of years. And so Jesus shows us that he is not bound by the social decorums of society. That he's willing to do things that other people would question. And we're going to see that this morning in these three sections of Luke's Gospel that we're going to explore. The first one being in Luke chapter 14. Now, Luke chapter 14 begins these, these first six verses. He heals a man on the Sabbath. And so, uh, it's a man who, is, uh, who has a condition known as dropsy. Now, dropsy is not something I typically hear people talk about today, but what it simply was is some kind of a condition that caused his body to retain fluid. Now, that is something that we hear about today. The number of times since I've been in ministry that I've heard about somebody in the hospital or gone to visit them, and then I hear about how much fluid has been removed from that person, sometimes in terms of gallons and sometimes in terms of weight. The number of times I've heard of people uh, losing 20 or 30 or more pounds while in the hospital just because of the fluid they've removed from that person. So, if you have ever dealt with that or have had a loved one who has dealt with that, then you can relate to the kind of discomfort that this person was experiencing. And so, Jesus heals that person, but of course, it's on the Sabbath. And uh, the Jews, 
not necessarily instituted by God, but a lot of man-made rules over the years about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. And so Jesus kind of teaches them something about humanity in this instance because he reminds them, okay, now who of you, if you had a child that needed rescuing, wouldn't take the time to rescue them? Who of you, if you had one of your animals that goes into a ditch, would you not take the time, even on the Sabbath, to pull out of the ditch? That if those kinds of situations are worthy of dealing with on the Sabbath, then certainly someone created in God's image would, for goodness sakes, rise to that level of being able to be helped even on the Sabbath. And of course, by this time, Jesus and the Pharisees have gone back and forth and round and round. And so we read in Luke's Gospel that they, you know, when he questions them, they don't say a thing. They've got absolutely nothing to say at this point. And and so then we move into the next several verses of uh, verses 7 through 11 of Luke 14. And uh, Jesus is teaching them that, hey, if you, if you go to a, if you're invited to a banquet, don't take a seat of honor. And uh, he encourages them, take, take a lower place. And then, if, and then if somebody hosting the event wants you to take a better seat, then, then you might uh, honor their request and take a different seat. But don't, don't go in someplace assuming that you're all that, we might say. Don't go in there and taking a place of honor until it is asked of you. And so Jesus is telling the audience, folks, don't be a snob. In other words, don't be consumed with social status. That social status is not something, if you're going to be one of his followers, it's not going to be something that you're going to occupy your time with. And so then we arrive... At verse 12, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so Jesus then saying, he says, hey listen, uh, when you're going to do nice things, don't just do it for those people who are in a position to repay you. We've talked about that before. That don't make kind gestures transactional. Don't do it because, hey, if, if I invite this person, boy, they're, you know, th they have a position of prominence and, you know, down the road a little bit, uh, it would be good if they could endorse my campaign. Or, you know, it, I'm going to invite that bank president because at some point I'm going to have a venture that, uh, you know, I just want him to feel good about being a guest at my table and breaking bread under my roof. And so I, I want him to have fond feelings of me and that might be enough to, you know, sway him in helping me get the funding that I'm going to need for that new venture. 
Or the list, right, church, can go on and on. That we, you do something for someone to get some kind of benefit in the future. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. No, that's not kindness. That's social maneuvering right there. That's not blessing people. Uh, That's setting yourself up for a future payday. And Jesus says, when when you're going to host people, don't, don't host people that can pay you back. No. Take the time to host people that, that would be blessed by being a guest at your table. And so then in response to this, verse 15, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And as if to say, Master, won't it be great that despite all of our differences someday, rich and poor, Democrat, Republican, that, uh, you know, Titans fans and Colts fans, that, that someday we're all going to, in spite of our differences, that we're all going to be welcomed at your table. And then Jesus, in reply to that, says, well, eh, yes, but some of those that might appear to be in line for a seat at that table may not be after all. And so Jesus replies in verse 16, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited. Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I cannot come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And so Jesus is making it very clear that the Father has extended this incredible invitation. But it's not a situation, as some Christians are prone to say today, that, well, you know, God is love and... You know, ultimately, everybody's going to be there in heaven. I don't know where they get that from reading the Gospels. Jesus is very clear about judgment. Jesus is very clear about that which will be thrown into the fire. Invitations are offered and decisions, choices will be honored. And so Jesus makes it very clear 
that you're invited, but you have to accept the invitation, right church? That, that our Lord has sent us a Savior. And as we've already taken the time to gather around this table this morning, that we have remembered the sacrifice. We've celebrated the resurrection. And so, and so it's very clear that, that the invitation is out there. But for those who make excuses not to accept the invitation, for those who put it off, and some unfortunately put it off too long, that their choices will be honored. And that they don't get it. There comes a point where they don't get a chance to make that decision. And so Jesus, though, is giving this example of, hey... You know, sometimes those in society that seem like they're in that great position, they are ultimately lacking something that they ultimately need for eternity. And that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, uh, and so Jesus is saying, yeah, there's, there's a whole lot of room, but where does he turn? once those initial invites come back with excuses. His heart is toward those who are on the margins of society. Pointing out that, that God's kingdom is not about the size of your wallet. That God's kingdom isn't about the size of your house or in today's world the number of your houses. That you don't have to pass some kind of litmus test. I saw just this week, read an article where there is a Caribbean country who basically said, hey, uh, if you want to come visit us during uh, the pandemic that's still going on in the world, that we want you to make a commitment to stay for 60 days and you need to have an income, you know, show us proof of an income of at least X amount of dollars. And so they're wanting people that will come and because uh, they, they figure these, these are, the, are going to be the least likely to be virus spreaders when they visit us. And if they stay for two months, then they're going to have a great time. And, uh, and then we're, we're going to make money off of their, their tourism. You know, they're not coming for a long weekend or for a week. And so uh, I think to myself, well, boy, the number of people in the world that can't... Who's got time? Who's got two months of vacation time banked that you can take, right? <clears throat> I mean, I don't... You know, those folks are operating in a different world than I am. Uh, and so... Uh, and then, of course, the, the, the income that you have to prove to, to, in order to, to go visit those folks. Now, the pictures look great. You know, boy, that water... That, that water was pretty and that sand was pretty, but, you know, it's just as pretty down here in Panama City or, or Destin, I think. And so, uh, and so Jesus is saying, hey, in the world we live in, that there are going to be times when you feel like you don't measure up. I read that article and I said, whoop, not me, I don't measure up. Now, I didn't lose any sleep over it, as any of us could imagine. But we're reminded that we don't, we don't measure up. Uh, anytime you get on a plane that has a first class cabin and uh, 
I remember that, uh, that line from uh, the, the movie Jerry Maguire, first class used to represent a better seat, now it represents a better life. And, uh, and you know, the number of people that are, that are in there, of course, they get to board first. And that's always weird because they've already, they've, they're already sitting there and if it's an evening flight and it's kind of cool, they've already got their blankets and their pillows and they've already been served a beverage. No, you, you know, I, back here in economy, I'm not getting a beverage until we've been in the air for at least half an hour. Alright, it's just how it is. Get on a plane, anything other than Southwest, I guess, and you have to pass through. And I always think that's awkward, you know, that they're sitting there, you know, watching us pass through, like run this little gauntlet, you know. Like we, like we, we just, good for y'all, we're not, we're not in your league, or we're at least not willing to, to pony up uh, for those seats. And so, uh, and so Jesus says, in society, you're going to be reminded Sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes it's going to kind of slap you upside the head that you don't measure up like some people might. And Jesus is saying, in my Father's kingdom, it's not going to be like that at all. There's no, there's no test. There's no proving of income. There's no proving of wealth. You don't have to have some kind of job where you can afford to take two months off. This isn't just for the self-employed and the ultra-wealthy. That my kingdom is open for everyone. And that the least of these, if they have accepted Jesus, will be part of that kingdom. And what good news that is, church. And if we flip back to to Luke chapter 5. I want to begin uh, in verses 12 through 16. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Once again, we're reminded of Jesus' prayer life, aren't we, church? Withdrawing to a lonely place to pray. But, my translation says the man was covered with leprosy. Now, yours may say something a little different there, but don't miss it. <clears throat> what Luke is trying to tell us is that this is an extreme case of a skin disease. That there are some people that have mild or more moderate cases, and that this man approaching Jesus was a, was a significantly serious case. He was covered with leprosy. And church, how did Jesus respond? A skin disease that caused people to be removed from society. It's okay. You're, you can't come to the marketplace. You can't come to the synagogue. You can't 
be around. For those of you that have had to deal with quarantine, you kind of got a taste of being separated from society for a while. And so, and so with a leper, they were separated from society until such time that their skin was clear. And then their uh, requirement was, in their community, was go and show yourself to the priest. And then the priest would pronounce you clean. And then you would deal with the cleansing or participate in the cleansing rituals that the Jews had. And then and only then do you rejoin society. So in other words, church, don't miss this. If you had a skin disease, if you were a leper... You were as much of an outcast from society as anyone. You were considered beyond worthless. And so not only does Jesus allow himself to be approached by this leper, his condition was obvious to anyone who could see. But Jesus touches him. Jesus takes the time to touch him. Someone who by Jewish standards at the very minimum would have, be, would have been considered unclean. And Jesus, not bound by the social decorums or even some of the religious requirements of the day, reached out and was willing to touch that man saying those words, because the man approaches him with faith, saying, if you're willing, and Jesus touches him and says, I am willing. We have a master who, no matter how messy we are, is willing to touch us and say, whatever state you're in, I am willing to make you clean. Praise God for that. And then finally, I want to look at verses 27 through 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so, Jesus calls Levi. Now, we know that Levi, or also known as Matthew, has a lot to lose in this. After all, he's a tax collector. And we know from reading the Gospels that tax collector is synonymous with sinners. Because after all, you have turned your back, if you're a tax collector, you've turned your back on your Jewish community. And you have taken a job with Rome. You are working for the oppressors. And you are lining your pockets at the expense of the common people in many instances. 
And so the tax collectors have wealth. And so that's why it's widely believed that while, uh, while uh, some of the, the, the apostles, uh, you know, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, while they would have left a family business fishing in the Sea of Galilee, that Levi walks away from that tax collector's booth to follow Jesus. A, a position or a decision that once made, you cannot go back. Once you tell Rome, I'm not working for you anymore, they're not going to let you come back and say, you know, I kind of missed the old gig. Let me do that again. No, it just didn't happen that way. Once you walked out the door, and some of you have maybe known employers like that. Some say, hey, I'm happy for you. You go with my blessing. The door's always open. If you ever decide you need to come back, you've been a great employee. Then on the flip side of that coin, there are those people who say, you're dead to me. Once you walk out the door, I've, I got nothing to do with you. And so that was the situation Levi found himself in. But he's a person who has financial means. And so what does he do with those financial means? He's had an encounter with Jesus and he wants others to have that same opportunity. And so who does he invite? Well, he invites the people who would have been willing to associate with him for the past few years. Because after all, even sinners are made to exist within community. Even tax collectors are made to exist within community. And so, if there are other people, if the religious people of the day won't have anything to do with you, then you'll find somebody to associate with. That's the way the world usually works, church. And so, and so uh, Levi has these people that are his friends. And he says, come on, y'all. And so he is using now his financial resources to give people an opportunity to meet Jesus. Now, so it's a house full of people on the margins of that society, especially the religious society. You see, the Pharisees' attitude was, if you're a sinner, ooh, if you're a sinner... I, we're not going to hang out with you. Because we feel like that, that that association might corrupt us. It might make us look less righteous. And so if you're a sinner, then we're just not going to... We're, we're just not going to associate with you. And yet here you have Jesus who comes along and says, Let your light shine before others. If we're going to shine ourselves, shine our light, church... Where is our light most seen? In a room full of lights? Or in a room full of darkness, right? And so, if, 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 the, if the righteous people never associate with the people who need a right standing with God, who need righteousness, then righteousness becomes the exact opposite of what Jesus ever wanted it to be. Righteousness becomes an exclusive club. Church then becomes a country club for the righteous elite. Not what our Heavenly Father ever intended for one second. And so Jesus makes it clear when he's questioned because 
funny thing about these kind of banquets or these kind of parties, even if you weren't invited, you could show up. You might not get a seat at the table, but you could stand against the wall and observe what's going on. That's how the Pharisees get there. They see people going to Levi's house and now they're curious. Hey, you know, that good Jewish boy turned money collector for Rome is having a big party. Let's see who he's invited. And there's Jesus in the middle of it all. Eating, talking with, teaching those sinners and tax collectors. Why, you disciples of his, why, why does he do that? Why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? If he's so righteous himself, isn't he afraid of that guilt by association? To which Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I've not come the righteous to call the righteous to repent. I've come to call sinners. The kind of people that sing that song. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And they got tears running down their cheeks. Sing it with me, church. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's those kind of people that say, I know on the day of days, it's not my wallet. It's not the size of my IRA. It's not the size of my house. That it's, it's going to be my faith in the only one who can wash away my sins. The only one who can make me whole. It's those people, church, that get a seat at the eternal banquet. Let's be a part of that group. But church, let's do our part to let our light shine in the dark places of this world. That like Jesus, that we are willing to get our hands dirty. That we're willing to associate with people. And when you deal with people who are lost, when you deal with people who are slaves to addiction, when you deal with people who have a history of making lousy choices in their life, and you invest in them emotionally, and you try to shine your light, light brightly in their direction, not because you're better, but because you want them to take their seat at the table as well. At some point, it means you're going to get your hands dirty. And at some point, you're going to get your heart broken. But church, there's going to be more success than failure. Because God is on our side. Let's be people who remember that we're no better than anyone. And that we have a Savior who took away our sin and made us whole.
in a way that nothing on this planet ever could. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's be people who love the marginalized in our world. If you're with us today and you have not yet made that decision to put on Christ in baptism and take your seat at the table, then we offer an invitation for that precise reason. And if you're with us today and you would like the prayers of a congregation about something that you're wrestling with right now, then the invitation is for that reason as well. Let's stand and sing.